You're listening to episode 7 of the We Got the Runs podcast. In this episode, we talk about summer running, all things ranging from running in the heat to hydration. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we chat about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey runners! Hey runners! Welcome to episode seven of our podcast. Wow, episode seven already! Can you believe it? I can't believe it. So much fun the last what seven weeks, I guess. Yeah, and we learned a lot. Yeah, we learned a lot of information. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for subscribing, and of course, we appreciate any reviews that you want to leave, especially on iTunes, because it helps our rating. It helps our visibility. More people will be able to find us. Yes, definitely. So thank you so much. And don't forget to like and share with your friends. Yeah. So let's talk about the hot weather and running in the heat and hydration today. Oh, great topic, Letty. Okay. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so we reached out to our running community and asked them, how does one deal with running in the heat? And wanted to see what type of tips they had for us. So let's start with reading a few of those. All right, so we have Parthenia, and she says, get out and early, get out early and run. And then we have Mamba Duma. And she says, hydrate well a day prior and make sure you take a zip every 15 to 25 minutes. That's great information. We'll go into that a little bit more when you do your uh, section about nutrition and running. Awesome. And Shirley says, more water intake. Dry fit and patch pace and watch pacing. That's important. Study your route. It's better if more trees are around. Awesome. Yeah. And then we have, let's see. Jamie Schnall says, wear a visor and hydrate very well the night before. That's awesome. Then we have Benjamin Earl Hakus, who says, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't run in the heat. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Lori Netseku says, carry water and take it slower than normal. That's right. Always listen to your body. We have Kathleen. She says, soak a banana in ice cold water and wear it when you start running. I think she said Bandana. <laughs> What did I say? Banana. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm not fully hydrated after our run today. <laughs> okay. Anyway, bandana. That's what I meant to say. Um, also, buy a hydration pack and have a very lightweight camelback. That's really cool. Oh, those camelbacks. That's a good idea. And then Vicky Duffner says, treadmill, problem solved. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Vicky. We have a few others who said early, Raquel, Olga. And then um, Kim says, run before sunrise, take uh, water and shorter distance. We have Len Novak and Eris Santana, and they both of them said, just run. <laughs> just get out there and run. Just do it. Suck it up. 
Eleanor says, run mornings, drink water, and just repeat to yourself, I got this, I can do it. Look at me go. Actually, that does, work, that does wonders for me. That's really interesting because um, we're going to discuss our tips that we pulled out from this and from our own personal experiences. And uh, we did not include mantras. Running yeah. mantras are so important. We should do a podcast on that. Just that alone, right? Because it's so much, uh, everything is kind of a game of mindset as well. I mean, obviously, there's truth to hydration and, and uh, the heat factors. But, um, you know, if you power through something using a mantra, then... That's oh, even yeah. better. I mean, I would say half, maybe more than half of running is mental. I agree. I completely agree. Oh, so I wanted to add uh, Anastasios. I'm sorry if I messed up your name. He says Condi- conditioning helps the most. I think that's a really good point. So he runs in the Philippines, sometimes at noonday in the sun, and it's brutal. But he does it because it helps it to be more manageable, and he also runs under trees. But, you know, that's a really good point. So building that conditioning around it. Yeah, and then Brian LeBlanc says, as a Hawaii-based runner, I've learned the following. Blister shield is great. Noon tablets rock. Run early or very late. Your pace will be slow. Accept it. High-quality sunscreen is worth it. Keep a hydro flask nearby all day to ensure you hydrate when not running. That's great, Brian. Thank you. All right, we have Carla, and she says she starts her run at 5 a.m. It's not that bad, and she uses a fuel belt with water bottles that are frozen. That's pretty cool. Then we have Katie, and she says, just run more, a little slower. I think that's a good point. It is. Richard Van Patten says, I'm in Miami. The dew, point, the dew points are in the mid to upper 70s every day, so there's no real escape from it. I just attempt to hydrate properly and run. But there's also a pace calculator that helps you determine the pace to its, that's equivalent to the pace you want to run in the event. So that's good. That's a another um, great tool to have if you you know really want to pay attention to your pace instead of just accepting that you're gonna run slower. You just kind of look at the pace calculator and see what this pace translate into a, a more dry run. Yeah, really good point. So Kurt Widener says use the right hydration with some electrolytes. He also wears a white cap, so that's a good point. Um, Bobby says at his age he avoids it. He does early mornings or evening runner now. That's kind of what we do anyway. Not just because of work and kids during the day, but you go out there when it's when the sun isn't blasting on you five o'clock in the morning and you kind of makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then um Ileana says get out early, bring water with you, and try to get roots with shade. And then um, Ken Johnson says ice is your friend. I keep a cooler with ice water that has drinks and wet washcloth. Every six miles or so I refresh at the cooler and put a washcloth or two on my head and around my neck. Yeah, that's a really good point. So there's a lot of really good tips that these people had. I see the biggest thing that they're recommending is a lot of people are hydrating right? Mm -hmm. Some people are using fuel belts. Some people are taking either with whether it's a bandana or a rag or a hat or something that's wet. Or a cold banana. (laughs) Or a cold banana. I mean, that works too. You're getting some potassium. Right, right. And (laughs) so let's let's sum all these up when uh, we'll go into our own seven points of uh, seven tips that we have for running in the heat. Awesome. So since we live in Florida, it's super hot right now. The temperatures are in the 80s, 90s, sometimes I think even 100s. But what we learned 
is that what you really want to pay attention to is called the dew point. The dew point reflects the actual amount of water in the air regardless of the temperature. So the closer the air temperature and the dew point are, the more saturated the air is and the more uncomfortable your run will be. So if you live in Arizona where it's dry heat or if you live in Florida where it's humid, the same temperature feels completely different. Because um, Florida, for example, has a high dew point and so that means since there's more water in the air, it's less likely for water to evaporate, which is your body's cooling system. And um, that's why the air here feels very thick and breathing is more difficult. And have you ever heard of the sentence, humidity is the poor man's altitude training? No. And that is because water in the air displaces some of the oxidant molecules, which makes the air less dense, as you might experience in higher altitude. Wow, that's so interesting. So basically what you're trying to say is that it makes our cardiovascular system stronger when we were out running in these these hot and humid temperatures? Yes, because it mimics high altitude training. Uh, it mimics that same lack of oxygen because there's more water in the air and it displaces some of the oxygen molecules. So you kind of have the same effect and that's why they call it the poor man's altitude training. Very cool. There's a map online. If you go to, I think it's weatherstreet.com, it's a map of the United States where you can see the seven-day dew point forecast for the entire states. If you zoom in, you can see the certain colorations on those maps that tell you what the dew point is. In Florida right now, our dew point is between 70 and 77. And there's a chart that goes with this to tell you um, how this dew point affects you. So for example, if your dew point is between 50 and 54, you feel very comfortable and those are your PR conditions. Whereas awesome. right now, anything above 75 is called extremely oppressive and it suggests that you actually skip the run, <laughs> which is impossible for us. Yeah, of course, especially if, if these dew points are going to continue all throughout the summer. Exactly, and, and they will down here. And you'll, you'll realize August is probably the worst month. Oh, wow. It gets super hot. And as you know, looking at a Florida racing calendar, races stop in May and they don't pick up again until, I don't know, October, November. And that is exactly why, because you really don't live in a place that has great racing conditions for summer races. Yeah, which is so interesting, because back in New Jersey, that's when the races start. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's peak race season. <laughs> peak race season in the summer. No, I mean, same with Seattle and, course, and California, yeah. just other places have um, winter conditions. Exactly, mm -hmm. and our best conditions for running are January races, February races, maybe. Perfect time, yeah. Although it's still humid, it's just um, cooler. Much cooler. So mm -hmm. you have a bigger discrepancy between the temperature and the dew point, allowing for your body to actually sweat and cool off. So you, it doesn't feel as um, stressful, as uncomfortable. That's awesome. Yeah. So that explanation helped a lot. So let's share some tips on how to run in the heat. Yes, we'll give our listeners seven tips on how to make a run more pleasant when it's really hot and humid or, you know, just not the best running conditions. So the first one is start your summer workout slowly. So when you start, don't just run as fast as you can. Give your time, give your body time to adjust to the higher temperature and um, avoid the intense sessions during the first few really hot days. So just start off slowly with the summer, increase your workout intensities step by step and um, 
let your body acclimate. Yeah, I will say, since I, when I first moved to Florida, so I moved to Florida in January, the first about two to three months, I had a really hard time adjusting to the humidity. But now, I can honestly tell you, for the past month, month and a half, I really feel like my body is adjusted. Like I feel that my blood is much thinner because your blood will thin, especially when you live in warmer climates. And that's generally why, if you've ever heard of the term blue zone, people live longer because they have thinner blood. Um, yeah, so I can definitely feel that, that my body has adjusted and I'm running much more efficiently and able to control my breathing in the heat. That's awesome. That goes right along hand-to-hand with the poor man's altitude. Yeah. Thinning your blood. Yeah, and, and challenging, strengthening your cardiovascular system for sure. Yeah. So the second tip that I have is since heat affects your heart, uh, you should maybe consider running with a heart rate monitor and remember that higher temperatures always boost your heart rate. So when you run your usual pace, um, maybe take it a little bit slower you know, the fitter you are, the better your body will cope with the heat and uh, prevent your heart rate from skyrocketing. Yeah, and then I think it's also important to be aware of your heart rate and what your max heart rate is and, and just be more in tune with that as you're running. Yeah, and you can easily do that. You don't need to have any of the straps. Most running watches have built-in heart rate monitors, and um, even if you don't have the best app for it, Strava, anything will really tell you what your heart rate is. So even if it's off a little bit, you will see it consistently when you use the same app. Yeah, if it, well, if you do want it to be more accurate, then you would want to wear a strap if you want, if you want to track that more yeah. accurately, yes. Yeah. So my third tip is to avoid midday heat. So choosing the right time of the day for your training run or race is vital during the summer months. Avoid running in the midday heat and head out in the morning or evening instead. At that time of day, it's not any cooler, but there's less of an ozone atmosphere. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, I notice I just can't take the, the heat of the sun. The sun blazing or blaring on you while you're running kills me. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's actually... A different type of struggle that we have here in Florida because when we go out early in the morning like say this morning I went out at 530 the temperature outside was only 79 degrees but the dew point was 75 so my run was a struggle because of the humidity whereas if I run midday and I wait till it's noon it's going to be 90 degrees there's a different a, a bigger discrepancy between the dew point and the and the the temperature so you have that difference of 15 degrees and your run won't feel as miserable as for humidity but then you have the sun pounding on you so you have a different type of struggle i actually prefer the humidity struggle to the sun struggle because that will just really really drain you yeah i definitely agree i mean i can notice the difference from a six o'clock run to sometimes uh like a seven thirty run or even an eight o'clock run and it, still it's not as hot as it's going to be at 12 but the fact that the sun is out and the sun is on you is totally different yeah, the sun gets pretty brutal here. Pretty quick, yeah. Pretty quick, yeah. And so another thing that you can do is to select the right routes for you. Um, not just uh, asphalt versus trails, because asphalt makes the run just more hot. You've heard of the concrete jungles just because it's so hot, say New York, yeah. when you're running downtown and, and you feel that 
if you go on a trail, you always have a little bit of a cooler breeze maybe, but also from the ground up. But, you know, there's other routes too. If you run in wooded areas where there's lots of tree and shade, then you can actually avoid the sun and stay away from it. Whereas if you run just down the street with no coverage by trees, it just makes it a more miserable experience. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. Yeah. And then um, another one is also to choose the right outfit or, you know, try to wear as little clothes. So there's, you know, obviously two views on this. If you wear as little clothes as possible, you might be able to do that if you do an early morning run. Whereas if you do it during the midday, yes, you will not want to wear a lot of heavy clothes, but then you also have the UV rays in the sun. So then you have to protect your skin. And That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So that leads me to point six is, you know, to protect your skin, find a sunscreen that's waterproof and um, sweatproof, of course, too, for running. And uh, I don't have a perfect one yet. There's a lot of sweat resistance one, but I feel like they can still really, really burn your skin. But, you know, there's like, like I said, you you can try to wear the right clothes. You can wear super light polyester clothing. And of course, you can wear sunglasses. You can wear... Visors, visors, exactly to to prevent that from happening. But it's you know you just gotta figure out what's best for you. Shirts and shorts, caps and and all that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that helps a lot. That does help a lot. And then of course the the biggest one out of all of them is to feel better. You gotta make sure you stay hydrated. And I'll hand that over to you because you're in nutrition. That's your niche. Okay, all right, so hydration and why it's important. So during exercise, your muscles will generate up to 20 times more heat than when you were at rest. Did you know that? Nope. (laughs) So we are able to release this heat through sweat. This sweat evaporates and cools the skin, which cools the blood and in turn will cool the inner body, including the organs and the cells. So that's why it's important for us to sweat. Sweating is a good thing. So, if your body temperature rises, this is why it is important for you to be aware of what your body temperature is, be aware of your heart rate, and avoid those really high temperatures. So, if your body temperature was to rise up to 106 degrees, this can begin to damage the cells. If it goes all the way up to 107.6, this can start to kill the cells because the cells will actually, and the proteins in your body will start to cook. Think about when you cook an egg. Mm-hmm. Same thing will happen to your body within the protein within your body. It starts to actually cook. So, so how do you prevent you. that from happening if you run in really, really hot conditions? You, well, it's very rare that your temperature will go up beyond 104. Yes. Okay, so and sweating without replenishing the fluids and electrolytes will cause dehydration. So that's what dehydration is, is that you are sweating out so much of those fluids, you're sweating out so much of those electrolytes. And electrolytes are essentially minerals, but I'll go into that a little bit deeper in a little bit. Okay, so there are varying levels of dehydration, and dehydration will affect different people in different ways, because some are able to adapt to the heat better, like we discussed a little bit earlier. Therefore, dehydration is minimal for some, while others will experience more severe symptoms. And we'll go into those symptoms so you can get an understanding, but just understand that, you know, every person is going to need different amounts of fluids, and every person is going to respond differently. Is that something that's inherent, or does that change as you adapt? It will change as you adapt, for sure, Um, and it will probably change based on 
how you start to rehydrate. You know, whether you're someone who doesn't hydrate or whether you're someone who's starting and learning how to hydrate, it will change based on all those factors. Okay. Yeah. So when you are dehydrated, your body is going to become more stressed. So it actually stresses your body. It stresses your organs. You know, it's it's not something to be taken lightly is basically what I'm trying to say is so and when you're dehydrated your body temperature is going to start to rise it starts to work harder your heartbeat is going to increase you're going to have an increased need for glycogen you're going to have more difficulty concentrating and exercise is overall going to feel more difficult dehydration is often associated with muscle cramping and muscle fatigue as a result because you know your muscles aren't able to work more efficiently because you don't have those minerals and you don't have the fluid so both of which, uh, these can be addressed, and if, if not addressed, they can cause muscle damage and then long-term, um, more severe cellular damage, which can therefore really affect your performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are a few ways that we can assess our dehydration if, if you want to be more aware of when, what it feels like or what it affects in your body to actually be dehydrated. So there are three ways that you can do this. And those three ways are, you can track the color of your urine, which is an important one that you can do, not just as an athlete, but overall, just be aware of the color of your urine. Um, You wanna monitor your rate of sweat loss through body weight. And then lastly, you wanna monitor your symptoms. So first, let's start with the color of your urine. So each morning, you wanna check the color of your urine and just be aware of that. The darker the color of your urine, the more dehydrated. If you wake up and your urine is like a very dark color, that's that's a problem. After exercise, if you don't have to go to the bathroom and your urine is dark, you're dehydrated. So what happens is after exercise, if you're dehydrated, your body will hold on to whatever it can, so you won't have to go to the bathroom right away, and that's not good. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's important to be aware of that color. The, the color of urine that you want to aim for is like a straw pale color. If your urine is completely clear and, you, you know, you don't see any color at all, that means you're a little bit overhydrated, and that's okay, like one or two times if you go to the bathroom and it's completely clear, but if it's like that all day, that's not a good thing either because then you're just, like we said earlier, that term hyponatremia, you're getting too much water and you're, you're flushing out all of the sodium and you're flushing out all of the other minerals. So there is a thing as too much and too little. Yes, yes. Exactly. So, I mean, over the years, if you look through the research in terms of hydration, initially they said don't hydrate, and then they went into definitely hydrate, and then they went back and said don't hydrate again because, you know, especially with the field of nutrition, you're always learning, but because they wanted to avoid overhydrating because that has happened especially with, with different athletes, they, they've overhydrated and, and made matters worse. But of course, you don't want to get to the point where you aren't hydrated and you go into that dehydration state and have to stop a race. That's, that's when you, you can also cause severe damage. Yeah, that's right. I think I did read an article where they tend to go back and forth and you don't know what's the right information because there's so much of it out there. But some of them say, if you're running a marathon, stop at every stop and drink water. And others say, no, don't do that anymore. That's old information. And then now I think we're back to saying you do, you should stop more frequently than that. 
Yeah, and I will say with that, I think that's why it's really important to test these things out, especially with marathon running, is really to practice these things. You know, practice your sports nutrition, practice your sports hydration, and really be in tune with your body to know what your body needs. Right, I think that's important. Um, One thing, if you are tracking the color of your urine, don't be surprised if you take vitamin supplements and your urine is like that bright kind of a color, that's totally normal if you're taking your vitamin supplements. That has nothing to do with your hydration. That's just the riboflavin. That's one of the B vitamins (laughs) that you're peeing out. Okay. And it doesn't mean that you're taking a cheap vitamin. That's just the color of it. (laughs) So ignore that part. Um, But it's more important if you are tracking the color of your urine first thing in the morning and right after exercise. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so second way would be to weigh yourself and this is very key and I think all athletes should do this so you want to weigh yourself you can weigh yourself with no clothes or whatever um, outfit you're gonna wear I would it's probably better to wear your weigh yourself with no clothes so you want to weigh yourself before you run and then right after you run weigh yourself and you want to be familiar with how many pounds you're losing after that run and that will tell you how much you sweat because there's some people who sweat a lot and there's some people who don't sweat a lot. The average is somewhere between one to four pounds of sweat loss per one hour of running. Oh, that's a lot. It is a lot, yeah. So for me, I, I know that I sweat a lot. So I'm generally around that four pounds, especially in Florida, I'm around the four pounds <laughs> that I'll lose. Mm-hmm. But there are other people and they may weigh themselves and it might just be one. Huh. And it will also vary depending on how fast you're running. You know, you have to keep all those things in consideration. There's nothing with nutrition is generalized. Right, right, right. Nothing really should be across the board fits to every single person. We could have listeners that are running 15-minute pace for a mile and listeners that could be running 6-minute, 5-minute pace for a mile, you know. Of course, their sweat rate is going to be different. Also, depending on your weight, you could be overweight and that's going to affect the amount you sweat, and you could be underweight, and that's going to affect the amount that you sweat. So there's so many different factors. Yeah, but so in terms of replenishing based on that, so you generally want to replenish 80 to 100% of that fluid loss, and that's a good way to track throughout the rest of the day is, you know, weigh yourself two, three hours later after you've been rehydrating. Are you back to your normal weight, or are you still under? That will tell you if you're still dehydrated. So to know what your actual normal weight is, do you weigh yourself on a day that you're not running and you weigh yourself in the morning or when would you weigh yourself to know your regular weight? I think it's, it's a good idea to be familiar with what your weight is, to know your, your regular standard weight, um, but for that day, gauge based on that pre-exercise weight. Okay. I would go more off of that. Yeah. Okay, and then the last way to gauge it is to monitor your symptoms and and be familiar with these. You know, little symptoms that you may not realize can also be symptoms of dehydration. So a few symptoms that you wanna look out for is, um, of course, increased heart rate. And when we say that, we mean like a large jump in heart rate. So if if you're using your Garmin and you're you're looking through your miles, this is something that you want to be aware of, is you want to see, is there a point through that run where you saw your, your heart rate jump 10, 20, sometimes 30 points? That's telling you that you're starting to move towards that dehydration state, and that's telling you that you need to back down and really be aware of that. Because you could be, sometimes we're running the same pace and your heart rate just jumps. So being familiar with that. Um, you also notice decreased mental focus and acuity. 
overall fatigue and muscle fatigue. It's going to happen oh, during yeah. a run or after, and that's definitely a symptom of dehydration. We can relate to both of those, feeling loopy during a marathon, mm -hmm. towards the end of it, or, you know, cramps. Everybody has had cramps. During, yeah, but that, and that, but that is telling you that you have an electrolyte imbalance. Yeah. That you're low, yeah. So, I mean, just for you knowing that that's how you respond, that's something that you can improve for the future and will make your performance better. Definitely. Um, some other things are dizziness, nausea, irritability, headaches, dry mouth. Those are a few. Um, some long-term dehydration. So some of us may have chronic dehydration and we don't even know it. Um, and some things that like that I recognize a lot like in my, own, in my practice and working in nutrition is constipation, migraine headaches, fatigue, and long-term muscle cramping. There are some things that right away I'll know from that they are potentially dehydrated long-term and they don't know. Wow. Yeah. So one thing that I wanna mention is relying on your thirst is not a good way to gauge how much you should be rehydrating. I've been doing it wrong all these years. <laughs> <laughs> so your brain signals thirst. Once that point comes, you've already lost 1% of your body weight. 1% of your body weight, just to put that in perspective, is around 1.5 pounds or two cups of sweat for a 150-pound person, as an example. Okay. And that's just 1%. So that's 1% of fluid loss. Um, and that 1% of fluid loss will increase your heart rate three to five times per minute. So this is just to give you an insight of how much this is affecting your performance. Yeah, 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 because your heart, get, heart rate goes up and then... You're struggling more to keep up that pace. Yeah, exactly, and it, it makes it more difficult. You're not getting to those times that you want to. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. So a 2% loss is what is defined as hydration, so you really don't want to get to that 2% um, point. A 3% loss is beginning to start to significantly impair your aerobic performance, not to mention your recovery for your next bout of exercise, so definitely some things to keep in mind. All right, so a little bit more about hydration and fluid intake. So fluid intake, it can be determined by your age, your caloric intake, and your weight. I would go more specifically by your weight, um, but just to give you an idea of, of what water is and, and why it's important, and yes, I say water funny because I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so water makes up 60 to 70% of your total body weight, and that's in a lean, a lean mass adult. For an obese person or overweight person that's classified as obese, it's generally around 45 to 55% of how much it makes up into your body. So, you know, it really is important. I know people joke around about water intake and fluid, and but it really is important. I mean, on a daily basis, every new client that I work with, I ask them specifically, how much water are you, are you drinking? Because I hear all the time, I drink water all day long. Okay, can you tell me how much? What do your cups look like? How many cups are you drinking? And about how many ounces will fit into that cup? How many let's ounces? let's do the calculation. And how many ounces is a person supposed to drink? A person that taking out the whole aspect of exercising, just general person going to the office in the morning, coming home at night. Okay, so a non-exerciser, an average. So this is my general calculation is I will take your total body weight, divide that in two. Whatever that number is in two, so whatever half of your total weight is, that number, you want to drink about that in ounces. Okay. That's not going to be accurate for someone who's obese or overweight. So you need to do a different calculation based on that. 
How do you calculate theirs? For theirs, you need to get a, an understanding of what their ideal body weight is, so that's a different calculation, and mm -hmm. then take the that number and split that in two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and just a couple things about what water is and what it does in your body. So, water makes cellular reactions possible. It regulates your body temperature. It maintains blood volume, transports our nutrients, and it's involved in digestion, absorption, and excretion, just to name a few things that our body does. So, it's very important. Water is life. Yes, definitely. Um, just a little bit more about it. So your body has no provision for water storage. So water is in fact a nutrient. Like just like we talk about macros, like um, carbs, protein, and fat, water is on that same level. But it's something we just totally take for granted. But so, and with that, with that being said, it's lost every 24 hours. So it's not something that we can store, like, oh, I was really hydrated yesterday, so that means I'm good today. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Every 24 hours, we excrete it all, and then we take it all back in. So under ordinary circumstances, um, we can take, take in the amount based on our caloric intake, so one milliliter per calorie of, of food intake is one estimate. Um, so we talked about the body weight. These are just a few others that you can go by. Um, and to put that in perspective, you can also go based on your, your body weight and look at 35 milliliters of water based on every kilogram of your total body weight. Just to give you some other ideas out there. Another is that for adult males, you can do around 3.7 liters or 15.5 cups. For adult females, you can do 2.7 liters or 11 plus cups. But, you know, and these are three or four different ways that you can calculate your fluid needs. The thing for me is I'd rather go buy something more like your weight, you know, right. your body height, and also your activity level, and then even where you live. You know, we're outside, in and out of the house. You sweat from that. Like, that's that's a factor as well. That's very true, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to mention is a lot of people will ask me, yeah, you're, you know, you're talking about water intake, but what do I get from my food? So your solid food will contain 19% of your total fluid intake. On average so that's a good thing you are you know you are getting some fluid and electrolytes from your food that's a good amount yeah yeah it, it, and it, that equals up to about th three cups okay so you are getting some so just wanted to mention that but let's get into electrolytes and what they are because everyone hears that term but do we really know what it is so electrolytes so they're generally calcium magnesium sodium potassium and chloride so electrolytes are minerals with an electrical charge. So there are extracellular electrolytes and there are intracellular electrolytes. And these are elements that exist in our body fluids and they're distributed all throughout our fluids. So what makes them so important is that they're responsible for physiological body functions, cellular functions, cellular metabolism, neuromuscular, osmotic equilibrium. So they're very important for our body. I think the most important thing is they regulate our sodium potassium pump. And the sodium potassium pump is in every single one of your cells. It's very important. It has to do with your blood pressure among so many other things. So pretty important. But let's get into what people really want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> is how do I hydrate? 
So how do I hydrate? So you want to hydrate pre-exercise. Sometimes, you know, especially if you're racing, you want to exercise during exercise. I mean, exercise during, <laughs> you want to hydrate during exercise. <laughs> and then you want to hydrate after exercise. Okay, so pre-exercise, it's recommended to hydrate eight to 12 hours prior to exercise. So within those eight, that eight to 12 hour range, um, you specifically want to hydrate before exercise if you are doing two periods of exercise within a day. Like if you're doing two forms of exercise within a day, you know, do a morning workout and an evening workout. You really want to hydrate in that whole time between the two workouts. But if you can't do those eight to 12 hours before because you are sleeping, Mm -hmm. Generally, most of us are sleeping. You want to hydrate that day prior. Okay. So make sure you're hydrate, especially for a race. You know, we'll have to get into this a little bit further when we do like a like a race prep. But mm -hmm. what you should be doing those days leading up to that race. But definitely, you want to be hydrating with fluids and, and electrolytes. So um, on average, the um, American Academy of Sports Medicine recommends drinking two to four milliliters. Um, per pound of body weight at least four hours before. So if you want to look into specifically how much you should be drinking right before, you want to stay around that two to four milliliters per body weight. And I always like that per body weight because that makes it more individual to you right. rather than me just saying drink a cup of water before. Right, right, you know, right, yeah. I'm, I'd much rather be more specific. Um, and you can add sodium to that water. And what happens is when you add sodium, it will help to retain your fluids and, and you can add sodium through an electrolyte powder or, an, or adding an electrolyte drink. Some people do sodium tablets or I like to use pure pink Himalayan sea salt or you can use any other form of sea salt and you can even add a little bit of that to your water mm -hmm. if you like. If you sweat more heavily, you can consume up to 300 to 700 milligrams of sodium in the two to three hours leading up to your exercise. So that and that's another factor that comes into bioindividuality and, and being more aware of what your body needs. Like if you notice that you're someone who you go out for a workout and when you're done with a run, you can see the salt on your face. Have you ever had anything like, have you ever noticed I've that? I've had that after a race one time. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. kind of crazy. Yeah, it was almost felt like sand on your face and it ended up being salt. Yes, yes. So you're, so, but you, that doesn't happen to you often? It doesn't. No, it really doesn't. Okay, so you're not as salty of a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a much more salty sweater. So like I'm someone who has to do the salt. Like I have to do the electrolytes. So I'll have runs where I'll feel it on my face. I can feel it on my arms, especially after every single race. Oh, so you get that a lot more. Yes. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I eat a pretty high sodium diet, not because for any reason I just, I just like it and... Um... I feel like I run a lot, so I justify my liking for salt by, okay, I'm going to run. So I probably need it based on nothing except for, you know, my head. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's a really good point, you know, and that's another good point of being more in tune with your body. And, and for me, I do the same thing, but I do use sea salt. Do you use sea salt? I use sea salt, yeah. Okay. And I actually, I really use quite a lot of it. And yeah. I don't know, maybe it's also because I'm a vegetarian and I feel like I don't have meat. I don't get certain, I crave salt all the time. When I was pregnant, I used to drink soda water and I would just pour a ton of salt in it and lemon and I don't know why, I just, I always crave salt. You, so that is telling me two ways you're craving electrolytes because you're craving not only salt, but then you're craving lemon. So you're craving the electrolytes in the lemon. You're craving all of those minerals. Oh. 
Mm -hmm. Wow, that's yeah, cool. If, if your body is craving something like salt, definitely give it to it. I mean, I would say even taking a glass of water in the morning because it's very supportive of your adrenal glands. Usually when you're craving salt like that, your adrenal glands are craving the salt and they need that. So I would just take a glass of water and take that, that Himalayan salt and put a teaspoon of that. I would do that once a day and see if those salt cravings go down. Okay. Yeah. And That's see how good. you feel. It'll give you even more energy because your adrenal glands have to do with your energy levels. But I do want to point out the difference between why someone should be choosing a sea salt versus a white table salt. Mm -hmm. So the difference being when you choose a sea salt, you're choosing salt that comes from the earth and it includes all the other compounds. It includes the other minerals within it. Whereas if you just choose a white table salt, you are just choosing sodium. And that's where we have issues in terms of our health. You know, that's where we have issues that's affecting our blood pressure is because you're just getting white table salt and you're throwing off the balance of your sodium potassium pump. You're throwing off the balance of those electrical charges within your bloodstream. So, Oh, that's it's, so interesting. It's very important to include all of those minerals because your body knows how to respond to that versus just sodium alone, you're throwing everything off. And, and the taste, honestly, we don't even own table salt because we don't like the taste of it as much as we do, you know, the sea salts that are out there just tasting much better. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it on apples, just on yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and as an athlete, I think it's something that you don't want to skip. And so many people, I mean, I have so many people I work with and they'll, they'll say, well, I avoid salt completely. And I'm like, do you understand you have a sodium potassium pump in every single one of your cells? You cannot avoid salt. Your body needs salt. It's essential. <laughs> and another reason that people are, you know, have that response is because when I say that term, sodium potassium, potassium, you never hear people talking about potassium. The reason being, there's so much potassium in the different foods that we eat. But if you're an unhealthy eater, you're not getting as much potassium. Potassium is in all of the fruits and vegetables, it's in grains, it's in things like that. But if you're eating a processed standard American diet, your, your potassium level is gonna be so much lower. Meanwhile, you're eating all these foods with all this salt. So think about that ratio and what it looks like. Right. And that's why we have high blood pressure so predominantly throughout this country. Oh, okay. It's because of that. But if you're eating higher amounts of potassium and you're eating real salt, then that, that ratio is going to be so much better and so much more balanced. That's so interesting. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, of course. All right, so going back to pre-exercise. So, of course, yes, you want to hydrate. You don't want to over-hydrate. Um, another thing I will mention is that you want to be mindful of starting to hydrate early, like, you know, those, like, three to four hours before and not so much the hour before. Like, I don't know about you, but if I hydrate a lot the hour leading into my exercise and my race, then I'll have to go to the bathroom during the run, you know? Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, so keeping that in mind as well. All right, but so let's talk about during exercise. I think this is important, what a lot of people want to know and want to understand. So when you're exercising for more than one hour, same goes for nutrition, this is what you wanna be more aware of, is you know once you hit that hour point, that's when you really need to be mindful of your nutrition, of your hydration. So once you hit that more than one hour, you can consume up to 120 to 240 calories of carbohydrate with water. Um, if you're exercising for more than 2.5 hours, you'll increase that amount by an additional 60 to 90 grams 
of carbohydrates per hour. So adding the carbohydrates to your fluids is gonna help support your muscle glycogen replenishment because as you're exercising, you're using all of that glycogen that was stored in your muscle. Glycogen is stored glucose. Um, and so, so a way to use this is um, incorporating some form of a sports drink that will have the electrolytes and the carbs in it. And a good thing for runners is to add that, those carbs in, that sweeter taste, because it's gonna make you want to hydrate more. Because if you just drink plain water, usually you're not gonna wanna drink as much of it. That makes sense. So that's another good trick. So during exercise, it's recommended to drink three to eight fluid ounces of water every 15 to 20 minutes when exercising less than 60 minutes. So just to be familiar with that, if you're exercising less than 30 minutes, you generally don't need to replenish with fluids during exercise. And you also just wanna be aware of yourself and you know and, and how you're feeling. If, you're, if post-exercise you're noticing some of those symptoms that we, that we mentioned, then you might want to consider bringing fluids along with you during your run. Um, if it's cooler temperatures and, and you're running 60 minutes and you feel fine, you don't necessarily have to rehydrate. But if it's really hot and you're really sweating, yeah, I would consider bringing it along with you. You, you, know, you can refer back to our, our running gear. Our gadgets. Our gadgets. Yeah. And talk all about the different water bottles. Okay. Going back to post-exercise, so that's what we mentioned earlier. You know, that is where you want to be aware of, of what your body weight is and then be aware of it that way. I, do, I will mention that post-exercise, I think it is a good idea to be replenishing with at least one electrolyte beverage. You know, at least one serving of an electrolyte beverage, whether it is a powder that you're adding to a drink, whether it is an actual drink that you're drinking. Um, some examples that I will mention is uh, I'm a big fan of Ultima Replenisher. That's one of my favorite electrolyte powders to replenish with, Ultima Replenisher, and they have all different flavors. Um, another one is Noon. I think Noon is a really good one that a lot of athletes are familiar with. Those are uh, even tablets that you can add to your water. So I would do that. You can do that during and after is, I think is most important. Um, another one that I really like to recommend is coconut water. I think coconut water is a great source of electrolytes that a lot of people enjoy rather than some people don't really like like the supplement form where you're buying the powder and adding it. I think that's a really good like whole food source. Um, and some other options, I know a lot of people do Pedialyte. I've never done Pedialyte, um, but it, it is an option that you can use. Uh, there's also Essentia. So, or you can do, you know, some of these waters that, that you can buy that have electrolytes in them. I would just want to be familiar with how much electrolytes they have in there. Sometimes they're just marketing things. What are you looking for on the label? So you're, you want to look for those electrolytes that we mentioned. Those, you know, you want to make sure that they have, they include each of those, each of those um, minerals. So the calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, and chloride. Um, what the amount that you want to look for, I don't know if you're going to want to look for these specific numbers, but so in one liter of sweat, this is how much you're losing of each. So one liter of sweat, you're losing 0.02 grams of calcium, 0.05 grams of magnesium, 1.15 grams. This is grams, not milligrams. So that's why it sounds like it's not a lot, but it's, it's a lot. 1.15 grams of sodium, 
1.23 grams of potassium and 1.48 grams of chloride. That's per one liter of sweat. So yeah, those are, those are the ones that you wanna look out for when you're purchasing your electrolyte. Some of them won't, won't include all of these. Okay, yeah, so those are a few of the different powders. I know a lot of people also like to do like the Powerades and the Gatorades and um, while I won't say that they're not something you should do, I will say that you wanna be familiar with, you wanna choose an electrolyte that isn't too sweet, especially if you're using it during exercise because that's gonna skew it as well. You don't want something that's overly sweet, has too much sugar, and that's definitely something you wanna look out for with, with some of those. How does sugar affect you if you have one, if you like one of those drinks? Yeah, so what can happen is it can affect your GI system. So it can cause, you know, it can cause gastrointestinal distress during exercise. So that's something you definitely want to avoid, okay. especially if you're racing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, and you don't want like you don't want to be putting in high amounts of sugar even you know before and and after exercise. So comparably, most of these sports drinks you can compare them to the same amount of sugar as a soda. Right. 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 Yeah, so you know, just being familiar with that. If you are going to use those, I would just cut it half, half whatever that drink is, half water. Yeah, yeah, diluted. I mean, you can definitely do that with the Gatorade Power Power um, Powerade Powder. Sorry, oh, with powder. the Gatorade Powder because yes. you can just put right. less of it in there. But I just drank a Powerade after today's run, you know, from the vending machine because I was just craving something, and it said thirty-five grams of sugar in there. So yeah. that, in essence, is the same as a can of Coke. It's a lot. Oh, definitely. I think that's even a little more. It's about <laughs> the same. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now I have a head out for another run. <laughs> yeah, right. So that is all that I have on electrolytes. Hopefully that wasn't too much information. But if you have more questions for me, please leave a comment and let me know. That was very uh, valuable information. I appreciate it. Thanks, Angela. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Well, thank you listeners so much for listening to this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it and have taken away some valuable information. Make sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking to an incredibly inspirational man, Gene Dykes, where he will be sharing information about running ageless and the, the progress that he's made and just his amazing performances. So you don't want to miss this next podcast. Thank you guys. And you guys have a great week of running. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and you can also like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks and have a great week of running.